I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility podcast. We're at an exciting time in the mobility sector with new technology causing us to continually question the way we move both goods and people. My job is to talk to the people leading this revolution and to highlight the challenges and opportunities we face as we develop and implement safe, sustainable, and equitable mobility solutions. This podcast is brought to you by FEV. Check us out on LinkedIn or learn more at FEV.com. Today's guest is Charlie Levine. Charlie is Chief Marketing Officer at Electrion. The primary topic today is wireless charging. So electric vehicles are building momentum. They're growing in size. One of the big challenges we have right now is charging. So the infrastructure in place to get electricity in the right place, and then also how that is transferred to the vehicle. Um, the primary offering, or almost exclusively right now, is plug-in charging. So what you picture, you grab something, you plug it into the vehicle, and you have the electricity transferred that way. What we're talking about here is, as it sounds, wireless charging. So no physical connection. If it sounds like a crazy idea, it's not as crazy as you think. If you've used an electric toothbrush, odds are you've used this technology in some form. So you take the toothbrush, put it on top of a base, you don't need to plug it in, and the the battery gets charged. It's very similar um, physics at at work with how Electrion's offering works. But so we talk about um, two, two aspects: static and dynamic. Static is kind of like the toothbrush, where it's it's stationary, and there's a ton of benefit there, and not having the above ground infrastructure and relying on uh, a plug being installed every time. And then the dynamic one is uh, yeah, conceptually a little more challenging to grasp. Although I think Charlie does a nice job in this discussion um, explaining how it works, but it, it isn't hard to imagine how beneficial that could be if you're able to drive on the road and pick up charge as you're going rather than depleting the battery pack. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is if when this can scale up there, there's real benefit to be had so if, if a lot of the downside from a sustainability side or standpoint is the size of the battery pack and then as we get bigger and bigger battery packs going for larger range we're doing worse things for for the environment with all the work that goes into building that pack and then also the end of life um, recycling or getting rid of that battery pack if we have a reliable way to more easily get charged while we're driving or even at certain times in a commercial uh, application statically there could be a huge benefit to reducing the size of that pack and improving the overall sustainability of the electric vehicle offering so important topic really fun i think we charlie Charlie's great, great to listen to. So please enjoy my conversation with Charlie Levine. Today I'm joined by Charlie Levine. Charlie, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Yeah, so we really look forward to this conversation. So wireless charging, the uh, overall topic book, could you give us a little bit of an introduction of kind of yourself and what you're working on? Um, sure. So uh, my name is Charlie. Um, I've spent most of my career working at MoveIt, which is the application for public transit and the mobility as a service provider. Um, it was actually sold to Intel la- last year. But um, I think that for me, Electrion, the company that I'm at now, is like another piece in the puzzle of urban mobility, um, especially when we look at sustainability and how we're going to move forward to electrification of all the vehicles uh, that are on the planet. You know, today there's 1.4 billion passenger vehicles and another 300 and something million commercial vehicles. So we really need to think about uh, the transition to electric. How is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. How can we do it sustainably and efficiently? And I think that's where Electrion comes in, uh, the company that I'm at today with its wireless solution. 
Um, so, uh, you know, we can today we can charge vehicles in, in any mode. So uh, electric vehicles that are driving um, at any speed are slow moving um, or, or parked, you know, stationary. Um, and uh, wireless enables a bunch of, of different um, uh, benefits, namely that you can put it in places that you can't put plug in charging. Of course, the road itself mm-hmm. um, and, you know, uh, inner city locations or locations where you can't typically get charging infrastructure like um, at a commercial facility under the loading docks, for example. Um, So in all of these locations, what you're able to do is uh, provide top-up charging throughout the day rather than relying on having all of your charging happening overnight if you're a fleet Mm -hmm. operator. And and when you have that in place, it enables a bunch of other things which ultimately reduce your costs. Yeah, so I think there's maybe a few different directions we'll we'll go here. But so so the first one, I guess overall, I can say so one of, one of the recurring themes on, on the on the podcast here is that uh, yeah I'm, I'm excited about electric vehicles but certainly this concerns about um, certain certain aspects namely the charging infrastructure isn't quite there yet is, is one one of the things and then also just uh, if if range is a concern range anxiety is a concern and we just the solution is simply to continue to build bigger battery packs we're not really winning anything there because we're just putting more materials in and we're uh, creating heavier vehicles that would create more energy. So if our, it doesn't ultimately serve the sustainability goals. So that's, those are part of the reasons why I'm kind of excited about this, uh, this wireless option. So maybe, maybe let's first start talking about kind of the, the state. So you mentioned the loading docks for, for a fleet operator. Could you mention kind of why, why is this different or better than simply having someone come in and plug in every time that they uh, are loading, unloading, et cetera? Okay, sure. So uh, let's think about the the problems that you you have as a fleet operator. It doesn't matter if you're a bus operator or um, you know another mobility as a service operator or a last mile delivery fleet operator. You have an, an issue. You need to move to electric, uh, and you do it you know in stages because you can't move your entire fleet in one day. Uh, OEMs can't can't deal with that level of, uh, of of manufacturing capacity today. But let's say you start moving. So you decide you want to move a hundred vehicles in your fleet to electric. Well, first of all, you're dealing with something as a fleet operator you've never dealt with before, you know, many challenges and operating an electric fleet is very different from operating a diesel or a gas fleet. Um, You have huge capital expenditure right from day one. You have the new fleet that you need to purchase and the main cost for the vehicles is in the battery, especially if you have larger vehicles. Um, I know we talk about in the market that, you know, we've done amazing things. We've seen a massive reduction of the cost. Uh, per kilowatt hour, but I, I think we're hitting a plateau. And I think that we can expect to see an increase in cost when we look at the um, the resources that are required and the fact that we have limited resources on this planet. But uh, getting back to, to the challenges, so you have the, the fleet itself, um, which is very expensive. Then you've got the infrastructure, where you need, which you typically need to purchase from day one. And uh, you'll need to have your, uh, your whole fleet charging um, up at one time, typically with plug-in charging. Assuming that you're at in. the end of the fleet or the end of the day, basically you're plugging in. Yeah, Exactly, right. And you can't put it in a con- like necessarily convenient locations because uh, if you take the loading docks, you can't put the uh, charging poles in between the loading docks because the vehicles can't physically maneuver in and out. That's the main issue that you have in that use case. Mm-hmm. If you were looking at, um, I don't know, a bus fleet, for example, where you have typically all of your charging happens at the depot overnight because historically you couldn't have your polluting diesel or gas vehicles in a neighborhood where people you know, don't want that. That's a, a NIMBY uh, issue. 
So they've had to be located outside of the city historically, but when you bring them, um, you know, when you bring electric in um, and you have plug-in charging, it usually happens at night, which is really not a very efficient way to manage the charging of your vehicles because you're constantly worried about running out of battery. If you're a bus fleet operator and you've started that shift to electric, then you're worried about actually being able to complete your, your daily operations with your vehicles. Um, and then, you know, that, that fear of range anxiety that we as a, a private driver, you have your own, it's not really real, is it? How many situations have you been in where you've desperately wondered if you're going to make it through to the end of the day? But that's a very real and legitimate fear for fleet operators that they're dealing with. And where we come in is we say, well, hold on a second. If you have wireless charging um, and you can put it in locations that you can't typically put plug-in charging, it enables an entirely different um, attitude or strategy towards, towards the charging. If you take a bus um, terminal or a garage or a station that you have in a city, if you have wireless charging, you can put it there because it's completely invisible. It's all underground. It doesn't affect anyone walking by. Um, there's no like, tripping hazards. There's no issues surrounding like, the aesthetics of how the place looks when you put, you can't see anything. So it's, it's all underground. So with that, um, you, you can enable more top-up charging throughout the day. And there's another great impact or, or benefit of that. You can massively reduce the required grid connection that you need at your facility, which any fleet operator who started the shift to electric knows that the hardest thing about that is not how do you get the vehicles and how much they cost. It's not where do you buy the charging infrastructure today. It's actually how do you connect your facility to the grid when you have 100 or more vehicles that all need to charge at the same time. That's the biggest challenge. So, so can you expand then? So how, how, does, how does the wireless option reduce the, the impact there? Um, sure. So let, let's take a, a, that use case of the bus terminal in the city. So um, typically uh, a bus that starts its day from the depot, it drives to the city or the area that it's operating in. And then it does its route on a continuous basis for a certain amount of time. But it typically starts from what we call um, here in, in Israel a bus terminal. But I, I guess it's like a bus garage or station in, mm -hmm. in the city center. It's just like a little hub, basically. And if you put the charging technology there, what you're able to do is have your vehicle return on a regular basis and get a little bit of top-up charging. Yeah, um, yeah. so then it's not going all the way back to the garage. Exactly. And so then you need, first of all, you don't have all of the vehicles in the fleet charging simultaneously, right? You have a, a continuous cycle of vehicles entering, doing mm -hmm. five, 10 minutes charging whenever the driver takes a break, and then doing that loop, coming back again. And if you add the next layer of wireless charging technology and you say, okay, we're going to put it on a strip of the route of the bus mm -hmm. or the route of the logistics fleet, if it's like operating on a point to point route, then once you put that in, you can effectively have 24 seven operations. You don't actually need to stop for dedicated charging time and uh, you've reduced your grid, your battery size and your costs ultimately as a fleet operator. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. And I, I think, I want to dive into uh, how this actually works in, a little later, but I, I think right now, kind of talking about applications and stuff, there, there's there's more kind of questions I have. So the uh, so so thinking more about this bus. So what I don't know. Have you guys done any modeling, or do you have a feel for how how much? So I mean, the one extreme is you have the entire route has wireless charging underneath, right? And then it's it's literally charging 100 percent of the day. I I can't imagine it's it's that or even close to that. But 
do you have a feel for what it what it looks like or what degree of uh, bus stops routes etc need to be covered for it to be allow continuous operation sure uh it's around 25 to 35 percent of if you look at a, a city grid um of, of road the roads that are there exist in a city you want to look at the strategic locations and you would deploy our technology there along the routes along the roads what does it mean by a strategic location Anywhere where you've got heavy traffic of uh, vehicles passing through, you start with the bus routes, and then you might add some additional services that you know public services like um, refuge collection, trash collection services that operate on on those routes typically. And you slowly, slowly add more and more users to to the technology because once it's in place, anyone can use it. So, so theoretically, if you if you define a, a bus route for the city and you put, I don't know, at, at bus stops or a couple of main roads, you put an area then as whether it's refuge or per, even personal vehicles or, or whatever, Absolutely. assuming that they're equipped with, and, and we, maybe we can talk about kind of what, what actually has to go on the vehicle for someone to be able to take advantage of this infrastructure once it's in place. Yeah, of course. But yeah, you're totally right. It's um, you, you pick those locations where it makes sense, where you've got the most traffic, the most people will be able to benefit from having that mm -hmm. technology in place and you deploy there. And I think it's really important to say that um, we uh, we understand that uh, it's pretty scary to think about the concept of digging up roads and deploying our technology along them. And no um, uh, municipality in their right mind would let us do that in one day. Of course not. We would look at it in an incremental increase. Mm -hmm. And we also understand that we can't disrupt or disruption to the public has to be minimal. So um, one of the things that we stated as a goal um, for the company was that we'd be able to deploy one mile of our electric road system um, in one night. And uh, we've done that twice now. So uh, huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's without automation. I think the next goal is to be able to deploy an entire city in three to four weeks mm -hmm. or for a night goal to be able to deploy um, up to 10 or 20 miles in one night. Well, and so the uh, I know you guys are still kind of early stage and I don't know what it's like in, in Israel necessarily, but in, in the Detroit area here, it, it seems like I don't know, a, a given road is ripped up every five years or, or, or so or. I don't know exactly how long it is, but it, these roads, five to ten years, yeah. Yeah. So, so is your goal to try to capitalize on those existing um, times when the when the road's going to be ripped up, anyways, and just hey, say, hey, let's come in and let's add an, a little bit of additional effort rather than yeah. uh, rather than a dedicated effort to actually rip up a road to install your equipment. Absolutely, I think on the um, on the um, macro scale, yes, absolutely, that's what we're looking at, but. Uh, um, because we want to make sure that we have users and that they're benefiting from the technology in day one, you might not always find that perfect alignment between mm. when the next road is going to be retrofitted or reworked or re-engineered and, um, you know, a, a strip of road or an area that um, we want to deploy our technology in to supply um, wireless charging for the bus fleet operator or a taxi service, for example. But yeah, whenever there's, there are those use cases where we can find that matching, we definitely look for them. Um, for example, in our project in Tel Aviv, we waited for uh, planned engineering works of the particular road um, mm -hmm. that we deployed. And yeah, we matched up with them. Cool. And could you talk a bit more about kind of the, the projects or, or trials that you have going on now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, all of our projects are, are on real public roads. Um, I think we're the first company in, in the world to have been able to deploy our wireless uh, in-road solution. Um, and uh, we have two projects that are focused on bus fleets, one here in Tel Aviv 
where we have that use case that I was talking about earlier, where we have charging at the terminal, which is like the first stop of the bus route, mm-hmm. um, and then along the bus route itself. So effectively, we're demonstrating that the bus can run 24-7 because it continually gets a little bit of charge throughout the day. We have that in Germany too, in uh, Karlsruhe. Um, we have um, in Sweden our longest road, uh, which is nearly, it's just over a mile. Um, and there we're demonstrating that we can charge multiple vehicles with different energy requirements from the same stretch of road simultaneously. So mm-hmm. we've got a, a 40 ton truck there and an electric bus. Um, and then our second project in Germany um, and uh, our upcoming one in Italy um, are for highways and toll roads. Uh, demonstrating how for the intercity in this case our technology uh, could be a good a good solution for logistics fleets that typically travel on no routes yeah and that, that's interesting so the the toll roads roads i think was the first place my mind went because it, it seems obvious that someone's already paying maybe you pay a premium or something to take advantage and drive in the in the lane where you where you're able to charge uh how how generally are are you expecting that uh the commercial arrangement is, is expected to uh, to play out with the, the people utilizing the roads to actually be paying for this service? Uh, that's a, a great question. And I would say that this year we're doing, we spent the last uh, seven to eight years um, working on the technology, developing it um, you know, and on the engineering side. Then um, the last year or so we've been working on the commercialization which means, you know, ramping up our manufacturing capacities, making sure that we're able to deliver at scale um, and also looking for the perfect use cases where we're providing the most amount of value to, to the customer. I think in addition to the innovation and the technology, we're also bringing pretty interesting um, financing use case to it or a business model. Mm-hmm. Um, we understand that uh, public funding for projects like this is perhaps tricky. And um, if we have to wait around for years to obtain it, we could miss the window of opportunity that we have. Um, so we're, we're digging deep in our coffers. Um, and we want to finance uh, the projects ourselves, whether it's us as a company or us and a financing partner. But we ultimately want to provide this charging as a service for fleet customers. Um, so, uh, you know, in the application of the buses that I told you about in, in Tel Aviv and Karlsruhe, um, we, you know, the next stage of the project, now that we've demonstrated the technology and uh, the customer and the partners are, are all happy is deploying more of our charging stations and um, increasing the number of vehicles that are utilizing the charging stations. And, and I think that's coming up this year or next year. Um, and then, you know, we'll be scaling up from there. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I think, I don't know, the, theoretically, it seems cool to have a uh, like a highway or something that has one out of every five miles that has discharging and then the range anxiety is gone and the one of the downsides of electric vehicles gone and that you can you can take road trips but i have to imagine from a uh, logistics and financial perspective that is a lot more complicated than the, the commercial side in, in which people are making these decisions based on dollars and cents and you're able to uh have a a clear roi that you're not you're, that you're able to show to, to fleet operators so that makes a lot of sense yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think uh, people still have conceptually a bit of a challenge understanding the technology, which is the same for any technology when it's new mm-hmm. uh, to the market. But uh, that and, you know, also um, 
I don't want to say disbelief, but they want to see it for themselves. So, uh, which is, is totally fine. We're happy to show it in you know, any market or any location where it's required. But having those customers see the, you know, the fleet operators, see the technology for themselves and experiencing it in a small scale gives them the confidence that they can then scale it up and that we can provide that service for them. Cool. So can we talk a bit about how this uh, technology actually works? So I don't know. Absolutely. I assume, I assume I'm a, a high school physics student or, so, or, or something who's uh, trying to understand like that kind of that level. Can you talk about how inductive charging or how this wireless charging works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's start by uh, making a comparison. I don't know if you have an electric toothbrush. Uh, or yeah okay so it's the same, I have in the past at least yeah uh, I, I once owned an electric toothbrush um, <laughs> yeah it, it's the same principle as that um, or the same principle as um, the inductive stove that you may have in your in your home I don't know um, or you may have had in the past um, but essentially it works on magnetic coupling so the moment that they're in we have copper coils that are installed just below the roadway and the moment that the, the copper coils um, from the vehicle, they, they they couple up together. There's magnetic coupling between them. The moment that that happens, the charging, um, the energy is transferred between uh, the road infrastructure and the copper coils. Uh, so that's the basic premise of the technology. Um, it's physics. It's been around for a while. We didn't invent that. We just found different ways um, to to increase the amount of uh, energy that we can transfer between um, the road infrastructure and the vehicles and found ways to scale it up and to make it happen at speed. Because if you're driving at a 70 miles an hour, it needs to happen within microseconds. Mm -hmm. uh, otherwise, you've missed right, the opportunity for the charging to occur. Um, so that, that's what we've been working on. And then in terms of how the whole infrastructure looks, so we have a, a management unit, which is like the brain of the system. It uh, brings power from the grid uh, to the road or roadway infrastructure of the paved area. Just underneath the road, uh, the paved area, just 10 centimeters underneath are our coils. Um, they're encased in rubber, they go just below the road surface and they transfer energy directly to uh, receivers or receiver that we install underneath uh, the vehicle. Um, and so if you have, the larger the vehicle, the more receivers you have on the, on the vehicle to increase the amount of energy. You know, if you have a bus or a truck, then you need a lot more energy to the vehicle than you would if you have your Zoe Kia or your Renault or whatever it is, or your Tesla. Um, yeah. And this, uh, how, how involved is this process of uh, installing the receiver on the vehicle? What, what goes into that? Um, so it's pretty simple, um, pretty straightforward and pretty quick, actually. So um, uh, our technology is battery agnostic. We can work with, uh, you know, any vehicle. Um, and uh, we typically, it's aftermarket. So uh, you don't need to make any changes to uh, the vehicle itself. Um, it's just installed directly underneath the chassis um, and then connected to the communication system in the vehicle and you're good to go. Uh, today we can do it in like uh, two, two to three hours um, hmm. with all of the vehicles that we've done it with and we do it in collaboration with the OEM. So today we have uh, um, collaborations with Haiga uh, and Iveco, they're massive bus OEMs, um, with Stellantis, the amalgamation of Peugeot uh, uh, and Fiat Chrysler. A mm -hmm. big body that came together last year, I believe, um, and uh, Volkswagen. And we have many more collaborations with OEMs upcoming. That's not part of our business model. Ultimately, we want to provide an off-the-shelf experience to fleet customers. And in order to be able to do that, the integration with the vehicle needs to be completely seamless. So that's the collaborative effort between us and the OEM. 
does that include so do you have to like hack into a, a bms or some uh video control or a vehicle control unit on on the vehicle or is it re- removed from that no it's removed it's um with a can bus protocol if you're if mm-hmm. you're yeah, it's just a simple communication um a mechanism between the the vehicle and and our system our receiver unit as it were cool and how about the uh so talking about stationary versus dynamic. So I think, and, and you, you touched on this a little bit, but I, I want to dig a little deeper here. So the, the stationary in my own mind makes a, makes a little more sense if you're able to sit and have the copper coils standing over each other for a while. And that's, I mean, that's the toothbrush analogy, analogy right? So I, I guess if I understand this right, you're saying that just the, it's kind of short bursts that are sent in the dynamic case. And that's what allows the energy transfer. How, how does that work? Sure. So um, for the management unit or the brain uh, that we talked about earlier, it can power uh, up to 60 coils, which is 100 meters of road or 60 individual charging stations in a road. They're just one after the other back to back in in the road. Um, And so, you know, there's a a moment there, a transition between when the vehicle passes to the next receive next. Sorry, there's a moment when the vehicle passes to the next coil segment under Mm -hmm. the road. And so that transition needs to happen seamlessly. The okay. technology is ultimately the same if it's static or, or dynamic charging, you know, it's emotional or stationary. But um, it's how do we, the problem that we had to solve for was how do you ensure that the energy efficiency and the power transfer doesn't drop between the segments yeah. as you're moving along. So, uh, and, and we solved for it. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So I guess that, because one of my other questions was whether, so if, I don't know if you have a, a mile stretch of road it's not that the entire road is on at all times right it's, it's just you're, you're tracking it and it's as the vehicle or vehicles go over it there's somehow a communication that takes place where the the proper portion of the road is on at the right time right absolutely the road uh, is completely passive unless there's a recognized vehicle directly above the segment well the copper coil under the road and mm-hmm. then it's a uh, it's a uh, you know ignited turned on and then it uh, the moment the vehicle moves on it's turned off again mm-hmm. it's passive again so, you know, n- no dangers to the environment at all or to anyone walking around, walking their dog or the driver in the vehicle or anyone. Yeah. Um, there are very, very, very high standards about what you can and can't do in terms of, uh, you know, e- EMC and, um, and impacts, you know, uh, radiation and impacts to people. And we, we um, absolutely abide by all of the standards that, that are out there in the market today. Yeah, and if I if I remember right, so one one of the challenges with uh, wireless charging historically has been kind of a uh, an efficiency challenge, and uh, especially right. So if I, if I understand the technology right, the the closest the closer the things are to the two surfaces are together, the the more efficient. And as as that gap widens, it gets kind of drastically uh, less powerful, which is a good thing, right? Because you don't want necessarily all this energy going through the driver and passenger in, in the vehicle, but can you speak to, do you have, I don't know, do you have any percentages or data or anything that you can share regarding the, uh, the efficiency of Electrion's current um, iteration of the technology? Yeah, absolutely. We're, um, so in lab conditions, we can get 93, 90, between 93, 94%, but obviously oh. the real world conditions are slightly different. And there we're looking at uh, between 87 to 92% efficiencies. Um, so not that different, really, from plug-in charging infrastructure, where you're looking at 92, 93, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I know that that's one of the the long-term uh, uh, battle cries against uh, wireless charging. Right, it's not efficient enough. Well, it is if you keep working on it, and that's what we've been doing for, uh, you know, making all of the necessary changes and adaptations continuously 
on an iteration cycle, innovating in the technology uh, until it's more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we focus on a couple of uh, challenges or misconceptions. I'd, I'd be curious to get your, your thoughts. So another one I, I would think is uh, how green the electricity is, but that's, that's the exact same thing, whether it's a, a, a plug-in chart, like you, you guys aren't generating the electricity, you're just using what the grid is so that if the grid gets cleaner, your wireless charging will get cleaner, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do think that it's, um, well, let's put it like this. We at Electrion take it as a personal responsibility to try to bring renewables to the project that we're doing. For example, in Sweden, we have them in like in situ uh, solar panels. And the plan is for each project that we have to bring a renewable in situ power source or off-grid source or to connect it directly there because uh, it doesn't, we're, you know, energy agnostic, like we're battery agnostic, but we, we're all doing this at the company because we want to see a, a more efficient and sustainable transition to electric vehicles. So in order to do that, we've got to do what we say. Yeah. We're going to bring renewables um, and renewable companies to, to as many of the projects as we can. Um, but yeah, in, in that instant, in that, like, we're no different from a plug-in charging infrastructure in that sense. Yeah. Then how about the uh, the type of vehicle? So does this need to be a pure battery electric vehicle or would some sort of hybridization allow you to uh, offer a similar service? Um, we can definitely charge a hybrid. Uh, we've done it before, but I would um, suggest that uh, the value proposition there is pretty low because the onboard energy de- storage devices doesn't have so much capacity. So mm-hmm. your ability to charge the vehicle and keep it, uh, you know, uh, Get it to its the top end of its state of charge is pretty limited, but we can do it. Yeah, uh, we can't, yeah, we can do it. It's just you're not providing the most amount of value for the vehicle that and the driver. Yeah, and I, I guess it's similarly, if if range anxiety or um, range is one of the things you're catering to, uh, technically they can just go fill up at the gas station and <laughs> yeah, it's not not as clean, but it works. Uh, how about how does this uh, how does this affect or does it affect the, the health of the battery? So there's any is there any concern with kind of short stints of charging or is is that not re- not a real concern no so i i uh, i guess this question is coming from uh, the ongoing debate about fast charging right and you know when you're providing those very very high power um, charging um, instances or interactions for a very short space of time um yeah it's not great <laughs> but what we're doing is um we're, we're trying to keep the battery uh, between a state of charge somewhere between 30 and 80 percent continuously so mm-hmm. we're not doing, a, you know, when you look at depth of discharge, when you, you go up to a charge it to 100% and then you use all of the battery and do that whole cycle again. That's one of the things that causes battery degradation, along with fast charging as well, when you do very high power. Um, so we're trying to avoid that by A, keeping the amount of power uh, that we transfer to the vehicle relatively low and mm-hmm. to do it incrementally over time and keep uh, the, the state of charge in that golden middle, as we call it. Gotcha. And do you have any, to, in like uh, kilowatt terms, do, do you have a feel for kind of what, what the power output is that's kind of that, that sweet spot? Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on the vehicle, of course. But today, um, each of our receivers can power, each of our receivers provides 25 to 30 kilowatts. So if you have uh, a van, you might have uh, two charges. So uh, two uh, receivers, sorry. So 30, uh, 30 times two. Um, yep. And then if you had a bus, you might have three if it was a standard bus or an articulated longer one, you might have four, five or six and so on until you reach the, the larger ones. So uh, today we can get to uh, up to 175 kilowatts for the, the larger trucks. 
mm-hmm. um, and we're, you know, the limit isn't actually the technology itself, the limit is around safety. So we need to show that we can safely increase the amount of power that's being transferred because it's new technology. Yeah. Um, um, over time, so by next year, we'll, at the end of next year, we'll be at uh, 35, 40, 45 kilowatts per receiver. Um, so competing with fast charging in terms of the amount of energy that you can transfer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was also going to say for us, for smaller vehicles, like passenger vehicles, we have different you know, receiver pads. We have uh, 7 and 11 kilowatts. But because we're mostly looking at those fleets that drive longer distances or consume larger amounts of energy, we need to increase the power. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's a, I don't know off the top of my head, what's a, what's a, a bus um, battery pack, like 150, 200 kilowatt hours or more? More, more. So um, uh, anywhere between 240 to 350, 360. Oh, yeah. So large packs. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And then uh, let's take what we did in Tel Aviv. Actually, uh, we took it down from 240 to 40 um, kilowatts. It's a super capacitor. It has some pros and cons, but essentially we're showing that massive reduction of the battery capacity, 240 down to 40. Well, yeah, it's exciting. And so I, I think the last, uh, last, challenger that i had thought of is uh on the i don't know cold weather or, or poor weather type situations right so obviously if there's snow on the road or if there's uh just generally poor weather both I, I think from an aspect of the actual charging so trying to charge in those conditions and then also it tends to lead to roads being degraded sooner than in, in nicer areas so how how have you or how are you thinking about that or how how big of a problem is that? Oh well, um, uh, our we've kind of got things that are in climate extremes. Um, uh, one of our projects, the one that's in Sweden with the longest electric road, is in um, an area that's very very cold during winter. Um, and so we've had this year snow, ice, mud build up as well, and mm. none of the the climate, um, you know, the changes there uh, have impacted. Uh, our ability to transfer energy, not one. And oh. in Tel Aviv, we have the opposite end of the spectrum where the road can get very, very hot. You know, it can, I'm sorry, forgive me, I don't know how to say it. And uh, I always forget what the, the transfer is, but it's like uh, it can get up to 42, 43 degrees. So I, I'm guessing that's more than 100. Yeah, well, well over 100. Yeah. yeah, around, yeah, um, uh, Fahrenheit. So really high temperatures. And the road could technically overheat. And what we've seen is that our technology doesn't affect that. It doesn't increase the amount of heat loading on the road itself. Hmm. So um, like the first ever deployment we did for a, a test road was on, on a strip of, of road um, here in Israel. Um, and it was seven and a half years ago. And there's no additional degradation to the road. It's, you know, normal degradation like you expect with any asphalt road it needs to be replaced between every 10, 12 years, something like that. And do you know, so uh, in, in those situations, if it's 10 to 12 years, would you expect that your hardware is also going to need to re- be replaced along with that? Or is, can the hardware just be taken out and reinstalled? Um, I, so uh, the second option is definitely an option. But I would assume that if we do a deployment today, say we're on version uh, 2.0, I imagine oh, that you're gonna upgrade the technology. 10 to 12 years, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. if we haven't upgraded the technology substantially, then we're, then we're doing something wrong. So I just <laughs> imagine from that perspective that we will naturally replace uh, <laughs> the coils that are under the road and do upgrades to the management units. But because we're con- constantly innovating and, and changing rather than you have to replace the technology. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
you know, it's important to say we don't know yet. It's 12 years from now. And who knows? Uh, who knows anything about 12 years from now? Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, from, you know, all of the tests that we've done and the, and the deployments that we have done, there doesn't seem to be any need. There's no wear and tear on the system itself under the road. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any, uh, any other kind of, I don't know, misconceptions or, or common thoughts that you would want to dispel about uh, challenges of wireless charging? Um, I think the element about the cost, um, there's a, every customer that we speak to thinks it's going to be more expensive than conductive charging, but I mean, let, let's just go through the cost reduction again. You reduce the size of the battery that lowers your cost. You reduce what the cost of the charging infrastructure itself is lower. Why? We have this management unit, the brain, that, that I like to call it. Um, it powers up to 60 um, segments of, ro- of the road, up to 100 meters. But when you take that to any commercial facility or bus terminal or anywhere where you have a fleet, that's up to 60 vehicles that can charge simultaneously from the same management unit. So when you do a like-for-like comparison of our infrastructure or charging infrastructure versus plug-in, it's substantially cheaper. Then you've got the grid cost reduction, you no longer need to pay uh, a full uh, team of people to charge to plug in your vehicles uh, if you don't have automated charging. Um, uh, and you know those things together, plus the fact that we're offering to finance the project from day one and provide the charging as a service, means that the the costs are substantially lower when you compare it to traditional plug-in charging. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yes. So, yeah. How, how often are you seeing? So it seems like from a uh... The, the financing option is that something that it seems like that's the way most of these early projects are going to go, especially from in like municipal type areas, or are you seeing any desire for um, public entities to purchase this and have an asset? So they have the revenue stream. Um, uh, not yet. The first one has always been the, for the charging as a service for the fleet operators, regardless of whether it's on uh, public land or, or privately owned land. Why? Because the moment you actually, the moment that a fleet operator starts thinking about the transition to electric and starts thinking about all of the different elements, you know, they're completely out of their comfort zone. It's something that they've never had to deal with. And the moment that they get into that world, they realize that it's a, it's a headache. It's yeah. a huge, huge headache. And here's a company that's coming along and saying, well, you don't need to bother yourself about the purchasing and, and, and everything that sort of surrounds the project. We'll finance it and we'll manage the whole project for you. Um, the way we, we we didn't create this model from scratch there are companies out there doing it in different verticals and in different markets and also in the charging world um i just think it's a better way of looking at it and the fleet owners that we've spoken to so far agree because they don't necessarily want to own and finance the project themselves yeah yeah it takes an element of significant risk out in a in a risky time right yeah Exactly. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's a particularly challenging financial times for public fleet operators. You, if you as um, I don't know, the, the Met, for example, you, you might not have had your ridership. You might not. You definitely haven't had the ridership in the past year and a half that you're used to. Your revenues are down. You don't necessarily have the available cash to invest in the charging infrastructure that you want to buy, even if it is subsidized by, by the government. It makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, how about so changing changing a little yeah. bit. So thinking about your experience uh, with with Move It before coming to Electrion, is there anything? I don't know. It, it seems like kind of a a nice mix of experience, given the 
thought of the mobility as a service and then now going to kind of this, this charging, wireless charging and charging as a service. Is there anything in particular that you, you think back on that you, uh, you learned or experience that you had at Moved that has been particularly useful for you now at Electron? Oh, wow. So many things. I'm very grateful for uh, that, that experience that I had there. I would describe it as a, as a high school for, um, for mobility as a service um for the ecosystem i think what it gave me um uh, was the ability to when i first started there i was um at a startup within a startup i started by um building the the community of users that essentially map the transit data for the application in places where it's not available in a digital format not so much of a problem in the us but a huge problem in uh, the global south and in other places in eastern europe and far east for example um and uh, having Move it gave me freedom to think about all kinds of things that might work and to trial them and to fail and to keep trying and to fail and to eventually arrive at a solution that makes sense. So I think that those learnings, you know, they, that environment that they gave me of how to figure things out has been really helpful for taking a, you know, an entirely new technological concept and thinking about, okay, well, how do we make sure that it, it's providing value for the, for the fleet customers that we think it provides value for? How do you yeah. test that? How, how do you test for that? How do you prove that it, it provides value? How do you do all of that? Um, Move what we didn't have is infrastructure, was all SaaS. So in that aspect, this is a new world uh, for me. And uh, I'm very lucky to have great colleagues here uh, that um, engineers their entire life, um, and I'm, I'm learning a lot from them. And it may be, I don't know, maybe this is digging a, a layer too deep, but so it's, we, we can, uh, we can move on if this doesn't go anywhere. But, uh, so think, thinking about though, you said for move it kind of, you, you, yeah, you learned about, uh, kind of failure and also trying to design and, and think about how you can, it seems like kind of an iterative process for, for testing and, uh, and finding a, a good solution. Are, are there any, I don't know, any specific things that you've used or any like tactics, processes, et cetera, that you found at, that, uh, that you're applying? Or is it as simple as just hey, talk to my customers and, and get a good feel from them? Or how are you get, making sure that you're getting good information from them? Um, definitely that constant feedback loop between us and the customer. So um, even if I'm not involved in the specific business development conversation that happens between us and any given fleet operator in our markets, I like to listen in. Uh, not because I like to tell off the salespeople and the business development people at all, but no, I like to hear, like, okay, the, 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 key thing, the key thing here is about the listening to the customer. It's all very well and good that you have your hypotheses about problems that you think you're solving. But if your customers don't identify that that's a problem for them, then you have no technology and no product market fit. I mean, you have technology, but nobody's interested in the in the technology or the um, the solution that you're providing to the to the problem. Right? It has to be seen and experienced by the other side. Uh, so you really have to listen to fleet operators that have begun that transition to electric already and have already come across and had to deal with all of the problems that I talked about uh, throughout yeah. this conversation to be able to translate that back to um, fleet customers that haven't started yet. And of course, with each segment or each fleet type it's slightly different um so yeah it's that listening i'm not doing a very good job in this call in this conversation but i'm pretty good listener and i think Mover taught me how to be a good listener too nice yeah and i, I think that's interesting as well it seems uh i don't know there, there's something about hearing the exact words from the customer to, i mean e even if you have a, a sales business development person who is a great listener themselves and put together good summaries like 
you miss something there by not hearing the exact kind of first first person verbiage that's used and tones and all, all that stuff. So as it's cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's about how they, they speak about it as well. Like how much of a problem is it? Is yeah. it something that they're like vaguely aware of? Or like, is it stopping them from being able to operate the service that they want to operate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's a big difference there in willingness to pay and make a change depending on where they are in that spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then how about a question I, I ask all my guests? Uh, what's a, a, a book or books, or actually you could even expand it if, if you don't, if outside of books, I don't know if there's movie, media, blog, whatever, but is, is there anything in particular in your life that you've read or been exposed to that has had a particular impact for you, uh, either personally or, or in your professional life? Uh, yes, absolutely. I would say that there are um, probably two main authors that I think are particularly influential um, for me. One is Yuval Noah Harari. He, you know, you know him. Yeah, Sapiens and then. Yeah, okay. exactly. And, and um, he has the, I think it's his second or his third book. I don't, I don't remember the order, but uh, it's uh, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. Hmm. It's a really nice synopsis of what he talks about in the, in the, uh, homos, in the Sapiens book and then in the, um, the Future of Humanity book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really like the way that he thinks about things there. Um, and then there's a, um, uh, environmental writer he's uh, he's american but he moved to israel when he was pretty young his name is alon pal i also had him as a professor in my master's in sustainability and environmental studies and he was terrific both as an orator and the ability to drive home so many facts present them in an interesting way and uh, one of the biggest things that he's been talking about is uh, um, he has it in his book um it's called uh, one moment, I'll remember it in a second, but he talks about uh, his um, his issue with overpopulation, which is a huge issue that it's not connected to mobility per se, apart from overpopulation causes traffic jams mm-hmm. um, and poor roads. But his, um, his synopsis is essentially we need to think about the carrying capacity of the world, of the planet, and we need to um, act in accordance with the resources that we actually have on the planet and not, you know, this infinite growth that our financial markets uh, operate with but we know that there is a limit to what we have on this planet and we need to use it we need to use all of our resources in a much more sustainable and efficient way to make sure that there's something left for tomorrow so um i he actually he just became a member of uh, um, the israeli parliament a few weeks ago Hmm. um so he he's a champion ah that book is called the land is full and it really is full here in israel the land is full yeah we filled it very well (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and so, as you mentioned not a directly uh, a mobility topic but i don't know if anyone and it seems like you and, and kind of it sounds like the team at electron is you know doing this with a, a bigger purpose of trying to make some sort of a, a positive sustainability impact and if you uh i don't know kind of by definition if you believe and you're doing something even in the mobility space you're going to have to take that next step and figure out okay what's actually the best sustainable thing for this entire planet because we're just trying to tackle a part of this bigger problem absolutely and 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 that's right it you know we're we're trying to contribute to uh providing a more a more sustainable path towards fleet electrification but there are so many other things in the world that we need to be doing a better job of of taking care of um Mm -hmm. We need to be thinking about the circular economy and how we bring that in so that we aren't just looking for you know, unsustainable, unlimited growth. It's not going to end well for us. 
Yeah. Have you, uh, have you found a big difference in, so in, you're in Tel Aviv, you're in Sweden, Germany, and I think if I, you're probably looking at other, other regions as well for some of these, uh, these projects, have you found a big regional difference in, uh, the, the value proposition and how, how likely you, you guys are going to be to have success here in the short term? If you'd have asked that question a few years ago, I would have said yes. Um, Israel is a, a little bit behind compared to the rest of Europe, uh, especially um, Sweden and the Nordic region and Germany, who are really taking um, things seriously and thinking about how do they plan for this electrification shift. For example, Sweden 10 years ago already knew that they needed uh, to think about other ways to power vehicles. They knew that large batteries and heavy charging infrastructure was not going to be a sustainable route. So they started thinking about electric road systems 10 years ago. Uh, which is why we went there first, because you know, it's the first market and they're very supportive of the technology. So a few years ago, yes, but um, I think that the the other shoe has dropped in a lot of places. Um, and of course, I'm very glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. We were just having a conversation today with uh, a very well-known politician here in Israel, and I made a joke about the fact that we're we're not so, that's not our number one priority here in Israel. And uh, he was very quick to say, but it is now. And we take it very seriously. And not because he was being recorded or anything, just because I think it's suddenly become part of our consciousness here in Israel. Um, when it wasn't before, and the rest of Europe, and of course now the United States with the shift in administration that has uh, occurred recently, I think that everything now is back on track. Well, I hope so anyway. Uh, <laughs> can never really know, but... Yeah, yeah, but I guess best of luck. It's exciting, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk through uh, some of these topics. I guess is there anything, anything we missed, or anything about wireless charging or what Electrian's doing, what, what you're doing that you want to make sure to get across? Um, you've just reminded me that there's one thing I didn't say, um, and that's the maybe it's pretty obvious, but um, what are we going to do when we see the next shift to uh, in, in mobility? The next shift is probably going to be autonomous vehicles. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. knows if it's three years, five years, 10 years, but at some point we're going that direction. And how um, oh, we're designing autonomous vehicles to be shared and, and continuously in use, right? So how are the vehicles going to stop and how are they going to charge themselves if you don't have wireless technology in place? Yeah, and, and also there's a, I don't know. Some, sometimes overlook the uh, the energy draw of the everything that goes into making these vehicles autonomous is uh, non-trivial. So yeah, that's yeah. interesting as well. So yeah, that, that would be the last point that, that I would make. And that um, you know, if we're talking about um, uh, being accessible and and equitable, then I think that that's what wireless technology is actually enabling. It's enabling fleet owners to move to electric in an accessible way because there's a finance option and because the technology suits their operational behavior and needs they don't have to stop to charge it's not something that you have to think about as an additional operational challenge it just mm-hmm. works with how you actually operate your fleet today so yeah yeah i'll, I'll go i'll good points okay so Hopefully you managed to get some of them in <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, Charlie, really appreciate it. Like I said, thank you. It's been great to uh, virtually meet you and really appreciate you taking the time to talk. The Future Mobility Podcast is brought to you by FEV. For more than 40 years, FEV has been a global leader in the development of mobility solutions for the transportation industry. With a team of experts passionate about innovation through the design, development, integration, and validation of turnkey vehicle and propulsion system technologies, FEV is your partner for the development of future mobility solutions. 
I'm your host, Brandon Bartnick. If you want to learn more or get in contact, share feedback or questions, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn at Brandon Bartnick. Thanks for listening.